As you know, we've been working our way through these books that are called the Five Little Scrolls of the Old Testament, books that were associated with different festivals or days of remembrance in the Jewish tradition, and this one was associated with the Feast of Tabernacles in Israel. And as we come to this uh, last section of Ecclesiastes, it's really a very wonderful message about how we are to live our life in a way that honors God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your scripture, for the truth that it contains. And today again, as we uh, walk through this message in the book of Ecclesiastes, would you help us to understand and see how it applies to our life? And if there are areas, Lord, where we have missed it and we need to change, I pray that you would give us the courage to repent. If there are areas where simply you want us to be encouraged and strengthened in our faith, that we would do that as well and that we would choose to live a life that is fully devoted to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There is great value in learning from the wisdom and experience of others. Uh, for one, one reason for that is that it can save us a lot of trouble down the road. There are things we can learn from somebody else's experience that may prevent us from making mistakes in our life or taking a wrong path if we are willing to hear and apply what they've said. It can also be an encouragement to us. We can be more fruitful, more effective in the things that we are doing if we are willing to learn from others who have gone before us. I remember as a young pastor starting out here in the church, you know, there would be times when I would have questions about how to do something, and I appreciated greatly the time and the uh, wisdom that I could learn from others who had been pastors for many years. And I would call up a district superintendent or a pastor who was a mentor and just talk to them. The same thing was true for Gail and I when we were young parents starting out. We'd look to the example of those who were Christians, who were parents, and things that we could learn from them about how they had raised their children, and that helped us uh, to grow in that area of our life as well. Well, now it seems that the tables have kind of turned, and I feel like I've come to that stage in life where I'm often the one being asked for some counsel or help in different areas, and I appreciate that. Uh, this summer, I've had a couple of times when uh, young pastors have called to say, could we get together and talk, or they wanted to go out for lunch, or just come on up, and they've asked some questions about ministry, about church planting, about how is it that you were able to stay in one church so long? I remember one pastor who's in a difficult situation where he's only been there three years. And he was just wondering, how can you do this? How can you weather some of the storms that come in a church? Or I think of with our sons, our oldest son, Matt, who's married now, and they're expecting their first child in December. Well, he calls often to talk about work and ministry, budget, cars, different things that are very practical in nature. And it's been a joy for us to see him grow and take on these new responsibilities as he matures. You see, as we go along in life, whatever stage that we are at, we're probably either on the side where we could learn from those who have gone before us, or on the other hand, we may be at a stage in life where there are others who are looking to us as a role model. And we can help them along the way by pointing them to Christ and encouraging them in their relationship with him. You know, I see that in this book that we are looking at, the book of Ecclesiastes. The author of Ecclesiastes is sharing his wisdom and his experience with us. He's somebody who has lived life. He's coming to 
you know, he's older in life, maybe coming to the end of his days, and he looks back on his life, the mistakes that he's made, the good things that he has seen, and he shares those with us for our benefit. But these aren't just his words, these are God's words. And he makes that clear in this section that we're going to look at today, that these are the words of one shepherd. These are the words of God who has given him the wisdom to write. That's why we believe that Solomon was the author of this book and that God had given him tremendous wisdom and insight so that what he wrote was for our benefit. And then the passage we're going to look at today, he has a message in particular for those who are young, but it is also a message for those of us who are older. Let's take a look. We're going to look first of all uh, in chapter 11, beginning uh, to look at verse 7 through 10. Let me read that for you. Chapter 11, verses 7 to 10. It says, Remember your Creator while young. Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all. But let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. Be happy, young man, while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart, And whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things God will bring you to judgment. So then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are meaningless. When we read what is written in the book of Ecclesiastes again, I've said that sometimes it's like celery. You've got to chew on it a while to find out what's really there. And there are times when there are statements in the in the, what we read that seem a little bit jarring, where you go, now, what did he mean by that? Or what is this exactly saying? And one of the messages that comes through in this book is that God wants us to enjoy life. And he wants us to live it to the fullest. But there are boundaries there. There are cautions with that. He tells us here, however many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all. God wants us to enjoy the days that we have upon this earth. And the author of Ecclesiastes has come to some fundamental conclusions about life. And they they are things like this. He has come to the conclusion that God is good and His way is best. He has come to the conclusion that His creation is good and it is meant to be enjoyed by those who are His children. So why is it then that so many people have grown up with an attitude that God somehow doesn't want us to enjoy life? I mean, I hear that from people who feel like God, uh, you know, they view God as sort of this person up in the sky that if they uh, have a little bit too much fun or get out of line, God's going to smack them. And they sort of have this impression of God being very stern and severe toward fun and enjoyment. And that's not true. Why is it that so many Christians have grown up in a legalistic environment where Christianity was defined by do's and don'ts when instead it should be defined by grace and mercy and the greatness of our God. It's not that there aren't boundaries. There are. But if our Christianity is defined by rules like don't dance or don't drink or don't play cards or all those kind of don'ts that create this kind of narrow boundary to life, then we're missing it. Then our Christianity is indeed pretty narrow. And it's not a very good witness to the world. Legalism has never been a great way to live our life as a Christian. 
And yet so many people do. What should define us as Christians is our love for God and our love for people. We should be marked by people who have a godly character and a godly compassion. Where people can see in us a difference in the way that we live, that there is honesty, there is integrity, there is concern about people, that there is a genuineness to our faith and that we love others and want to help them because of what God has done for us. And when our Christianity is defined by that kind of life-affirming nature, that is very attractive. God wants us to enjoy the beauty of His creation. He wants us to enjoy fellowship with family and friends. He wants us to enjoy His good gifts that He has given to us. And I think those gifts include things like music or art or beauty and appreciation or even sports and recreation. I think He wants us to enjoy all of those things that are part of what He has given us in this world. In fact, it was interesting, I ran across this comment by a Jewish teacher, commentator, who in the third century said this about Ecclesiastes. He said that it teaches us that man will have to give an account for all that he saw and did not enjoy. Now there's a twist, isn't it? We usually think that one day we're going to have to give an account for all that we've done, and if there's anything bad, that we will give an account for that, and it is true. But is it also possible that God may say, why did you not enjoy those gifts that I gave to you? Why did you not enjoy this life more and all that I had planned for you? How sad it would be to have gone through life in kind of a sour or grim way and never lived life the way that God intended. And so in this section, in verse 9, for example, the writer says, Be happy, young man, while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things God will bring you to judgment. What is he saying there, and what's kind of the contrast that he's talking about? He's saying that we should be happy while we are young and enjoy those years of life. If you're a, a child or a student, a teenager, college age, God wants you to enjoy those years that are full of vitality and a time when you are growing and you're learning. You know, how is it that God has made you? What are the gifts that He has given to you? What are the dreams that you have in your life? And God is saying, I want you to follow the dreams of your heart. I want you to become the person that I created you to be. I want you to be enthusiastic and excited about life and about your future. I want you to enjoy those years now because you know the days are going to come when life won't be quite as fun. But the aging process will take its toll on us. He talks about that. And those days will come when you won't be able to run like you did as a youth. Or you won't be able to do the things that you can do now in these years when you have your health and your vitality. So enjoy those days. Follow your dreams. And honor God in the way that you live. That's what he's saying by this caution. Remember that you have a Creator too. He is saying that when you follow the ways of your heart, keep a balance in that too. This is not a message about Christian hedonism in the sense that you can do whatever you please and it doesn't matter. No, there are boundaries that God has set for us. 
we have a creator and one day we will stand before him. And God's going to ask us how we use the time and the opportunities and the talents that we had. Did we use them for his glory? Did we honor him in the way that we lived? When we look at this passage too, he reminds us in verse 10 that youth and vigor, vigor, the NIV translates as meaningless. Youth and vigor are meaningless. The word that's used there for meaningless in Hebrew is the word hevel. It's translated in many places in Ecclesiastes as meaningless, or some of your Bibles may use the word vanity or empty or things like that. But there are occasions where I think the better translation is life is fleeting or youth and vigor are fleeting. It's sometimes hard to find a one-word equivalent when you go from one language to another because the word in Hebrew has all of those connotations. It's the idea that sometimes life is frustrating. There's a frustration that God has built in. Old age can be a frustration when you can't do what you want to do. And youth and vigor are not meaningless in the sense that they have no purpose. What he's saying is that they aren't going to last forever. The time marches on. And so as a second point here in the book of Ecclesiastes, I think what he's telling us is that life is fleeting, so make the most of every day. Make the most of the opportunities that you have because this life is going to pass very quickly. When I look at chapter 12, verses 1 to 8, I think that it is one of the best descriptions of aging that can be found anywhere in literature. It uses metaphors to describe the aging process. And I've been reading and looking at this all week and just kind of smiling as I read through these verses because it is so descriptive of what happens as we age. Listen to some of the things that he tells us here. For example, in verse 1, he says, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, and the years approach, when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. He is reminding us that old age brings many troubles, as our health and our vigor declines. He says in verse 2, Remember him before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. When we look at the seasons of our life, there is a sense in which there is a sunrise and a noon and an afternoon and an evening and then night. Life follows those kind of stages where when a baby is born, there's hope and there's excitement and there's joy. And when we are in the noonday of our life, things are good and we are strong and we are healthy and we have opportunities all before us. And when we find those afternoon uh, stage of life, when we enjoy life and we are productive and life is good, and then the afterglow of evening as the sun begins to set, we begin to look back on all that has taken place in our life. And hopefully we can look back with joy. And the day will come when the sun will set and night comes and we will return to our Creator. Life has a flow to it. He tells us that we should remember our Creator now because the days are going to come when the keepers of the house tremble. And you can think of the keepers of the house as your hands and your arms that were so strong that keep up the house and take care of those things that are there. But the days are going to come when those hands, those hands that were so strong are going to tremble. And life's going to change as we age. 
And the strong men stooped, those legs that carried you so strongly and could run with endurance, hit a point where they sag and a person stoops and the strength is not there in the same way. I remember a number of years ago watching the Cosby show when Bill Cosby, who in that particular show was probably in his 40s, going toward 50, he had run track in college and there was going to be this reunion of his buddies from the track team and they were going to go out and run again. So Bill was going to get in shape, you know, and he's, he's out there. He goes back to his alma mater and he is running on the track, you know, to do some training and he's trying to do like one lap around the track. And he's just exhausted. I mean, you can see him huffing and puffing as he's running through. And he comes home that night to his wife, and he's just he's just had it. And his wife asks him how it went today on the track. And he goes, I saw 19 today. <laughs> and he goes, it was strong, and it was smooth, and it went flying by me. As one of those young college students went running around the track just past him. You know, that's what it's like. I think about that when I run, you know, and I see somebody else who's young, and they're just running with no effort at all, and I'm out there and I feel like I'm chugging along. And it's harder. You just can't do what you used to do. You can't run like you were when you were 19. Those days will come. So enjoy it when you can. And live it to the full. At the second part of verse 3, he says the days are going to come when the grinders cease because they are few. You can think of those grinders being your teeth. And it was maybe more common back then for the teeth to fall out and be few and it wasn't so easy to chew your food, but that can happen even today. And those looking through the windows and it grows dim, those are your eyes. And the days come when you can't see quite as well and you need those bifocals or trifocals or you uh, get in a stage of life where people have cataracts and it grows dim and you can't see the way you used to. I remember hearing Chuck Swindoll once say about his glasses, which he feels are sort of like Coke bottles. You know, they're pretty thick. He goes, sometimes when I speak in public and the lights are bright, I'm afraid my pupils are going to start to smoke. Life changes, doesn't it? You know, it's just different. And those of you that are older know what I'm talking about here is those things happen in the transitions of life. And then he goes on in verse 4 and he says, When the doors to the street are closed and the sound of the grinding fades, when men rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint, when men rise up at the sound of birds, you know, the, the slightest thing can wake you up in the morning. used to be you could sleep in late. If you have teenagers, they can probably sleep till noon. And you can't. You know, and the sun comes up and you wake up. You see the light or you hear a noise or you just, you might as well get up because you can't sleep in anymore. And yet on the other side, what can happen as we age is all the songs of the birds begin to grow faint as the hearing fades, gets less and less, and you can't hear quite as well. I would chuckle when I visited my grandfather and my grandmother on my mom's side. Uh, He was getting a little senile. She was hard of hearing. He would repeat himself, tell the same stories, or call for her, and she just couldn't hear him. 
And I remember once, you know, watching, sitting with my grandfather in the living room, and she's out in the kitchen, and he's calling for her, you know, and he's been telling some of these stories again back and forth. And then finally, you know, she she wouldn't hear him. And, and finally he looked over at me, and he just was frustrated, and he goes, ah, she can't hear me anyway, you know. And, and they had kind of this perfect relationship because she didn't have to hear the stories repeated, and he didn't know he was repeating himself, and he was just calling to her and life kind of went on like that for a number of years those days will come those things happen if you have aging parents you've seen some of the changes you're going through some of this right now and what do you do and you love them and you care for them and you want this to be the best that it can be but you've seen their strength pass and the days are changing and so he goes along and he continues in verse 5. I mean, he, he lists two of the things that are really true of old age. In verse 5, when men are afraid of heights, as people get older, they are afraid of falling. They're afraid of that and what that can mean. And they also are afraid of dangers in the streets. It's not that we aren't all aware of dangers that there are in our world, but there comes a time where you can see elderly people who just don't want to go out. I mean, because they're afraid of driving. They are afraid of... They hear stories in the news of of a break-in or something like that, and it makes them fearful that it's going to happen to them because they don't have the same strength and the same perspective. And so they want to keep the doors locked, or they want to stay at home. There's a time when the almond tree blossoms. The almond tree blossoms in winter, and the blossoms are gray at the end, and so he's picturing this time when... Our hair turns gray. And the grasshopper drags himself along in that same season of winter. I mean, if you see a grasshopper in the summer, it hops and it seems strong and it can hop or leap a great distance. But in the winter, in that climate, that grasshopper drags himself along and begins to do that old person shuffle because they don't have the same strength. And the desire is no longer stirred. There's not the same appetite. There's not the same desire, say, to travel and explore and be adventuresome. All of those desires pass. And then man goes to his eternal home and mourners go about in the streets. So remember him before the silver cord is severed or the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring or the wheel broken at the well. And the dust returns to the ground it came from. And the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Remember Him, He is saying before, this precious gift of life is gone. Put your hope and your trust in Him. And live every day to the fullest while God has given you life. When he says again in verse 8, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, again, I think in this context, the better translation would be the word fleeting. Fleeting. Fleeting, says the teacher. Everything is fleeting. I mean, when you think of our life, if God has given us 70 or 80 years, and you compare that to eternity, what is that? It's just a blink, and it's gone. And I, I think of those that are older. When you talk to those as they get older, you know, they feel like it went by so fast. I mean, I can still remember. And you look back and you can remember events in your life that don't seem that long ago. 
Where did the time go? You watch your children grow up, and you can remember holding them in your arms as a baby, and yet now they're an adult getting married, and they have babies? Where does the time go? There's a realism here. Life is short, and we don't know when death will come. We've seen that even this week in the news, of a tragic accident here in our community that took the life of a driver's ed instructor or the tragic death in China at the Olympics of a man from our area. So make the most of the time that you have. Live each day to the fullest, but live it for God. You know, and it goes on in the third section, or what I would call the third section, when he comes to the conclusion of the matter here. He tells us that the way that we live our life the best is when we live it within the boundaries that God has set. We see that in verses 9 to 14. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. And the words of the wise are like goads. They're like those sharp-pointed sticks that were used to goad an animal along to action. Their collected sayings are like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Let me go back over that. He is reminding us again that these are God's words. He is a teacher, and he has looked at life, and he wants to impart or share that wisdom with others. And so he wrote down these Proverbs and many others. And he said that these words were written to really move us to action, to teach us how we should live in a way that honors God. And they are the words that come from one shepherd, from God himself. So be warned of adding anything to them. There are many books in the world, and I think if he lived today, he would be shocked by all of the books that are written. And you can think especially of all of the self-help books that are out there that are trying to tell you, you know, how to have a happy or successful life. It doesn't matter what area it's in. And how people do run up against this frustration of aging. So they try everything they can to resist that or fight that or defeat it in some way. And yet, death will come to all of us. And it's not saying that there aren't some things out there that have been written that are not helpful. I mean, there are things that we can learn about health and fitness and our body to help us take better care of this wonderful gift that God has given to us. But what the writer of Scripture here is saying is make sure that you run everything through the grid of God's Word. This is Scripture. Those other books are the writing of men. And make sure you keep that in order. And understand that God has given us His Word here for a reason. And so when we come and we look at subjects like marriage or money or work or leisure or family or relationships, make sure that we are looking at those things through God's eyes and seeing what it is that He says and what He values about each of those areas. Keep Christ at the center of everything you do, and you will be blessed. God will honor those commitments that you have made. If a person took Ecclesiastes wrongly, they might think again that the writer here is 
avoiding some kind of heat or advocating some kind of hedonistic lifestyle. Sort of an attitude of do what you please. Eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow you die. But that is not the message at all. The writer of Scripture here tells us his conclusion in verses 13 and 14. Now all has been heard, and here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. He's telling us that if you want to live life to the fullest, this is how to do it. Fear God and keep His commandments. Revere God and revel in life. Put Him at the center of all that you do. Well, this is the season in which the Olympics are taking place in China, and so maybe it's appropriate to use a story of one of the athletes who is there. His name is Ryan Hall, and I was reading the story about him in the latest edition of Runner's World. He's a marathon runner. He hasn't been doing it very long. In fact, he's only run three marathons in his life. And yet those three marathons that he ran were all American records. I, I look at the time that he's running. He, he's the, uh, he ran his latest marathon in 2.06.17. Two hours, six minutes, and 17 seconds. That's faster than five minutes a mile for 26 miles. I don't know how you can do that. And they said when he was coming to the end of that race, he looked more like a guy who was circling the bases in a home run trot than he did a marathon runner. He still had something left when he hit the end. How do you do that? Well, it's interesting that Ryan Hall was sharing about uh, a little bit about his life and this change that took place that moved him toward running. He grew up out in California. He uh, was raised in a Christian family. And one day, um, as he was looking over his life and thinking about the things that God had been doing, um, God was working in his heart. And uh, he had a father who was a baseball player, and his father wanted him to play baseball, but he loved to run. And when his father took a stopwatch out and saw how fast his son could run, he realized he had a prodigy here. He actually, uh, at the school where he went uh, to high school, they didn't have a track team, and so his dad decided to become the track coach because there was something here that was a gift from God. And he began to train his son, and as his son went on and developed that gift, it became clear that he had a unique ability. And that's why God moved him into this area of running marathons. His first one was at the New York City course, where he ran a 209 in his first marathon ever. You know, when he talked about his life and his desire, he wants to run for the glory of God. And however he finishes, he's going to give credit to God for what he's done in his life and the change that he made in his heart. But he shared this story that I thought was kind of neat. It began the article by saying, Ryan Hall will be happy one day with second place. In his prayers, he thinks of entering heaven and imagines running through the gates as if into a great stadium filled with people raising a joyful noise. He hopes to be just off the shoulder of the leader but he won't attempt a late kick because the goal of his life, he says, is to follow in the footsteps of Jesus just as closely as I can. 
He wants to live his life and he wants to run his race in a way that honors God in all that he does. You know, I think that's really neat. Here's a guy who wants to live his life in a sense to the fullest, using the gifts and abilities that he has been given and to do it in a way that honors God. I am so glad in my own life for those that shared that message with me as a young Christian. It challenged me to use the gifts that I had to the fullest for God's glory. That encouraged me to develop those gifts in a way that would honor Him. And to commit my life, whether it's my daily life, my personal life, my marriage, my family, my work, whatever it is, to the glory of God. Because for 34 years, I've lived that way and I wouldn't change anything. And my word to those of you that are young in our congregation would be to do the very same thing. To commit your life fully to Him and say, God, here I am. And what are those gifts and abilities that you have given to me? Help me to develop and use them for your glory. Whatever profession, whatever vocation or work God calls you into, to do it for the glory and honor of God. And to walk with Him every single day with Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there's no better way to live. That's the message of Ecclesiastes. That we are to live our life to the fullest. And so I'd ask you today, what are your dreams and your passions? What is it that you enjoy doing? Follow the dreams of your heart. Make the most of every day that you have. Don't wait until you're older to come to this place. But start today with living your life for God. And then finally, live within the boundaries that God has set. There's no better way to live. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the conclusions that the author of Scripture came to as he looked at his own life. And he would acknowledge that he wasn't always living that way. That in fact there were times in his life seasons when he was far from you and needed to come back. And so, Lord, I pray for each of us, wherever we are in our relationship with you, that we would choose to make you Lord and Savior of our life, that we would choose to honor you in our work, our families, our marriage, our home. That one day we would look back on our life and say that it was a life well lived and where we would praise you for all that you had done. Help us to begin that journey today. Amen.